This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, episode 57, the Johan Santana edition of the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms that I mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. Let them know that this is the podcast to listen to. If you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is without you. And because of that, Subway to Shea is global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also reaches across the globe. No matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better for you each and every week. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and leaving comments in the review section. It can only help me to help make this show grow each and every week. You can also rate the show on Spotify. That's a new addition to the Spotify podcast. So if you listen to the show on Spotify, please rate the show there. Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the Fan Sided Network at Fan Sided. Before we start the show this week, I wanted to thank our guest last week, Colin Cosell. Colin is the public address announcer for the New York Mets. He also announces for the Brooklyn Cyclones, the New York Riptide, and the Stony Brook Seawolves. You can catch him alongside his partner Marisol Castro addressing the crowd at City Field during each and every Mets home game. Now, on with this week's show, it's a solo show, which means it's just me and you this week. We're not going to recap every game, but let's take a look at the biggest storylines coming out of the first two series for the New York Mets. And to start off, it's another opening day win. The Mets defeat the Washington Nationals 5-1. They have the best opening day record in baseball at 40-21. and That's a 6.56 winning percentage. This comes after losing their first eight openers in franchise history, including the Miracle Mets of 1969. And for me, opening day is just a tradition. I know it's like that for every baseball team, but with this record, I always look forward to opening day. For me, it's like, you know, I'm also a Dallas Cowboys fan. I know, I know, I know, but hear me out. You know, whether the Cowboys are good or bad, mostly they've been bad these last couple of years, but to think whether they're good or bad, I always look forward to that Thanksgiving game. 
It's always been about the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, and I always look forward to that. And that's how I feel about the Mets on opening day. I look forward to opening day, especially with the record they produce on opening day. I know it means nothing at the end of the season, but it's always good knowing that we have the best opening day record in baseball. And to help that this season, it was the Tyler McGill show. Five innings pitched, three hits, six strikeouts. He has been nothing but fantastic and this starting rotation for the New York Mets has pitched as advertised we know that MLB.com rated the Mets as the number one starting staff in all of baseball and it kind of took a back seat because Jacob deGrom got hurt right we talked about it a couple weeks ago how this kind of changes the dynamic are the Mets the best rotation without deGrom and so far yes they've showed that they can make it happen without Jacob deGrom let's look at the rotation and how everything has gone down Tyler McGill we talked about pitching opening day he's already had two starts a zero ERA he hasn't even given up a run yet he's 2-0 through 10 innings pitched six hits 11 strikeouts Tyler McGill has dazzled so far through the first two starts of his season and Max Scherzer has battled so we go from Tyler McGill dazzling to Max Scherzer battling and we say that because he hasn't had his best stuff but he somehow some way has battled 2-0 this season 3.27 ERA and that's given up four earned runs through 11 innings pitched eight hits 13 strikeouts four walks The guy's a bulldog, man. You go to see Max Scherzer pitch, and he pitches well, and he's shown through these first two starts that he's going to battle. Even when the circumstances aren't in his favor, he still battles through. Even in that game against Philadelphia, the go-away game, he was struggling the first couple of innings and found a way to get out of it, found a way to only give up one run when the game could have gotten out of hand. And that's why you pay Max Scherzer. That's why you have Max Scherzer on this team. So that he can lead by example. That he can show the rest of his team that you could be down, but you're never out of it. And that's why we love having him here. That's why we wanted him on the Mets. And he has shown that another pitcher, Chris Bassett, he dominated against the Nationals. And it was a great start for him. I think he had eight strikeouts and he gave up no runs. He's also got a victory out of that. He's 1-0. Six innings pitched, only gave up three hits. It was a great start for him as well. He'll pitch the home opener on Friday against Arizona Diamondbacks. And um, something that I really, really liked coming out of Chris Bassett, and I I know the fans are going to start gravitating to Chris Bassett because of the way he talks and what he says after the game, uh, especially after facing Juan Soto, he made this comment, I don't care who you are, I'm coming after you. I don't care the name on the back of your jersey, that's been my mentality no matter who I face. I know Juan Soto is probably the best hitter in the world, but I don't care. You hear that, it makes you want to run through a wall for him, and I know his teammates feel that way as well. And you saw him in the dugout, you know, talking with Tyler McGill, giving him advice. That's what you want to see. That's what you bring in a Max Scherzer for. That's what you bring in a Chris Bassett for. 
Chris Bassett also said he's pretty good at tuning things out, so he doesn't envision the loud crowd noise disrupting his start. He knows he pitches best when the game is just between him, his catcher, and the opposing hitter, and he knows how to get himself locked in. That's an excerpt from the New York Daily News and Disha Thosar, so I want to give her the credit for that little excerpt right there and, and a couple of comments that Chris Bassett made. But hearing Chris Bassett talk like that about you know tuning out the crowd wherever he is when he's pitching, it just reminds me of that movie For the Love of the Game with Kevin Costner and how he was able to turn the sound off and just concentrate on the batter, concentrate on throwing to the catcher. Kind of reminds me of that. That's why I threw that little quote in there. Like I said, he's going to get the start in the home opener. Got a solid start from Carlos Carrasco. He didn't get the win. The Mets lost that game, but 1.59 ERA through five and two thirds innings pitched, only gave up two hits, one earned run, which I think was a home run to Nelson Cruz, but he pitched very well. Very important that we see Carlos Carrasco come back to form from what was a disappointing season last year and an injury-plagued season last year. Speaking of injuries, Taiwan Walker, who was coming back from knee surgery and that knee injury, he only pitched two innings, but two solid innings. Um, He didn't give up a run. He struck out four through two innings, but then had to come out with a shoulder injury. He'll be okay, only on the injured list for 10 days. He'll be back shortly. And gotta like what you saw from David Peterson. He gave you four shutout innings in replacing Taiwan Walker against the Phillies. The Mets did lose that game as well as the bullpen blew it, but you gotta like what you see from the starting staff. You gotta like what you've seen from the depth so far out of them, and the hope is that they can continue this run. Best starting pitcher ERA in the majors right now at 1.29, and this is all without Jacob deGrom. I repeat, this is all without Jacob deGrom, and what you hope is, when he comes back, this rotation will be out of this world. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. Hopefully, he can stay on the field, as well as with the rest of them. You want to see this rotation at full strength, and the hope is that in a couple of months, we get to see that. Now we go from the starting rotation to the bullpen and there are bullpen problems and I I guess we could start with how Buck has used the bullpen so far. There's been a lot of complaints about how he's used the bullpen but there are things to remember before you get pissed off at Buck. One, we're dealing with a short spring training here. They've only had two weeks of worth of games, which means also that these relievers have not had enough time to really get themselves in sync. They've only been pitching a few games. It's not like the starters where there's only five of them and they'll, you know, they have their little set schedule. This bullpen There's been so many parts to this bullpen and them not getting enough time to get ready in spring. I know some people will say, well, spring training doesn't need to be that long, but maybe it does for some people. Maybe some players benefit from a longer spring training. We also have to remember that this starting rotation will not go deep into games, especially, especially in the beginning of the season. It's not going to happen, folks. You'll get five innings. Maybe you'll get six innings, but you're not going to get up to seven innings. So this bullpen has a lot of work cut out for it, at least to begin the season at the start of the month. So I'm sure Buck is getting a feel for what each member of this bullpen can handle. The Monday game is kind of where the bullpen really imploded, giving up five runs in the eighth inning. 
But again, the Mets were short. There's injuries to Taiwan Walker, which put him on the injured list. There's an injury to Trevor May. Edwin Diaz was on bereavement. So you can only do so much with what you have. And let's be honest. The Mets never really addressed the bullpen in the offseason. They never really reshaped this bullpen. Most of these guys are coming back from last season. The only ones that left were Aaron Loop, Jerry's Familia, and Miguel Castro. Now, I was never too upset about losing Aaron Loop because I thought that they were going to take care of bringing in a major league lefty to come out of the pen. I didn't know that they were going to go with Chase and Shreve and Joely Rodriguez. I didn't know that that was going to happen. So if these two guys can't take care of what Aaron Loop did so well, it's going to be a long year for that bullpen. I know Chase and Shreve has pitched well, but Joely Rodriguez has not pitched well whatsoever. And you got to question whether they made the right move with this Miguel Castro trade. I thought that it quite possibly could have been an even trade, thinking of it right from the start. Castro not too great, Joely Rodriguez not too great, but the Mets need a lefty, Yankees need a righty. This makes sense, right? I don't know right now. I mean, he's struggling. I preferred them to have not made that trade and to have gone with Chase and Shreve and Alex Claudio. Alex Claudio Claudio being the side-arming lefty, he had a great spring. I have a thing for the side-armers. It was nice to see him pitch well in spring training. I've always said I wanted two lefties in the bullpen, but my thought was going with Shreve and Claudio since they didn't make any major moves during the offseason. But now Rodriguez is here. We gotta have faith, at least at the start of the season. You have to have a little faith in Billy Epler and hoping that these moves work out in the end. And who knows, if Joely Rodriguez can't pitch well this month, he may be one of the guys on the outside looking in because we know that they're going to go from 28 players to 26 players at the start of May. And at least could be two bullpen pieces being sent down, could be a bullpen piece and a position player being sent down. Something's gonna happen. And whoever pitches least well will be sent down whether it's Joely Rodriguez whether it's Sean Reed Foley who had a bad game so there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things going on the Mets really only brought in Adam Adovino and he didn't even have a great day the other day either and it's just we have to see how Buck handles this for the long haul we got to see what these pitchers are made of to start the season. It's a long season. It's not football where it's 17 games. It's a long baseball season. So we have to see how these players fit into this team. And then by May, the end of May, by June and July, when the trading deadline comes around, maybe the Mets make some move for some relievers. They might do that even earlier than that if it continues to struggle. One thing that doesn't bother me right now is using arms for multiple innings. I'm okay with this right now because... Luis Rojas never did that. Sometimes he'd let a pitcher, and it could be Aaron Loop. Aaron Loop would come in for one batter, get the guy out in two or three pitches, maybe five pitches, and that was it for Aaron Loop for the day. We lost the pitcher. He pitched the five pitches, and he was done for the day. And he's done that with other relievers, too. Seeing Buck push this bullpen at the start of the season is what you want to see. You want to know if these guys have what it takes to be on this team come August, September, and hopefully October. So let's sit back, let's relax a little bit. The Mets are 5-2. and two. Obviously, the bullpen is going to give us Ajda. We know that. Most bullpens do that. But if the Mets continue to win, that's what's most important. And I'm sure as the season goes on, and if the starting pitchers are healthy, you'll see them go six innings. You might see them go seven innings. We might even get a complete game. Who knows? 
Just give it time. It's, it's not the time to panic. It's not the time to get crazy. Let's relax, sit back, and observe. Because that's what they're doing as well. They're observing and seeing who's got the makeup to take this team to October. Moving on to the Mets offense. And you gotta like what you see, right? In the first seven games, Pete Alonso raking, leading the charge. New guys delivering. I mean, let's just look at this. Pete Alonso, two home runs, 10 RBIs already. Jeff McNeil batting 318. Francisco Lindor, he's batting 250 with one home run, four RBIs. Eduardo Escobar batting 263. Guess what? Eight walks for him. Talking about walks, how about Brandon Nimmo batting 333 with two home runs, four walks? Mark Canna has been out of this world, probably been the best hitter, batting 381. He's got three RBIs. Starling Marte batting 231 with five RBIs, has one stolen base. The only one that has not hit really is James McCann batting 083. Hopefully he can get himself going and get himself together. Thankfully, Tomas Nito has been hitting at 273. Dom Smith has been struggling. Robinson Cano struggling. JD Davis batting 250. And Travis Jankowski, he's had four at bats, two hits, batting 500 at the moment in time. Mets playing small ball. We know we love to see some small ball. We don't want to see just a long ball. We love long ball. Like Pete Alonso uh, discussed in his post-game press conference about grannies and his grand slams. We love the long ball, but small ball is so good as well. You love to see it, right? You love to see small ball. And I have to go to a piece from Pat Ragazzo on SI.com, you know, talking about the Mets offense. After seven games, this offense is ranked number eight in all of Major League Baseball, 255 batting average. You got 365, 396 slash line, uh, 760 OPS, averaging 4.9 runs per game. It's what you wanted to see, right? And look at this. I, I got to read this from Pat Ragazzo. The Mets are 18 for 65 with runners in scoring position. Their 28 runs batted in with the runners in scoring position is the second highest total in baseball compared to last year where they were ranked 25th. So from 25th up to number two, it's great. More importantly, and this continues on with what Pat said, when hitting with runners in scoring position and two outs, the Mets are ranked third, slashing 387, 513, 516, which is 12 for 31, 14 RBIs. The Mets were also 28th last season in this, and now they're number three. So whatever has been going on with this Mets offense, you love to see it. You need to see it. You need to see them score in more ways than just hitting a dinger, right? You don't want to see them just hitting a home run. You want to see them score in any way possible. Base hits, sacrifice flies, RBI groundouts, any way possible. They have to get that run in. And this Mets offense so far, seven games in, have been doing that. That's why they're 5-2 and two right now. Now, some issue that I want to discuss, the players getting hit, all right? In total so far this season, 10 Mets have been hit to start the season. Four were hit 
in the first two days of the season, including Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor. The Once Lindor got hit, the benches cleared, and Buck was pissed. He was so pissed. The team came out. You thought that we were going to get into a brawl here, and thankfully, that didn't happen. But you got to like what you see when Buck comes out to defend the players, when the players get, come out to defend each other, where you have Francisco Lindor during his press conference after the game saying that he's proud to be a New York Met. You know, he got hit by and went to the ground, and he looked up, and the whole entire team was out out there protecting him and this is day and night compared to what happened last year you know we had the whole issue with the infighting with the raccoon incident and now you got this you got unity you got a team together that's what you want to see should there be retaliation i guess they're you know that's personal preference if they retaliate or not should they hit someone back Is that the best way to go about it? A lot of people will say yes on Twitter. A lot of people will say no on Twitter. The most important thing is for this team to win games. The best retaliation when Pete Alonso got hit was the next night he hit a grand slam, a game-winning grand slam to fend off the Nationals. That's the best retaliation, winning games. And the Mets have done that. That's why the Mets are 5-2. and two. They're a unit, and they've shown that right from the start. Now, my final thoughts before this train leaves the station. The home opener coming up Friday at City Field. The New York Mets against the Arizona Diamondbacks and a lot of festivities going on. We'll talk about the big one at the end because I want to I want to end it with the biggest news, but a lot going on. It's also Jackie Robinson's 75th anniversary. So a lot of things are going to go on. I think they're giving out 25,000 fans are going to receive a Jackie Robinson Brooklyn Dodgers t-shirt. The Mets are also going to honor and recognize fallen NYPD officers Jason Rivera and Wilbert Mora, who tragedy lost their lives in the line of duty in January. So much going on that day. The Empire State Building will be lit blue and orange starting 7.30 p.m. April 14th and will continue through the home opener. But let's get to the game at hand. The Mets against the Arizona Diamondbacks, 1.10 p.m. Chris Bassett versus Zach Davies. And it's going to be Bassett's first game pitching for the New York Mets at City Field. You got to be pumped to see Bassett on the mound. We talked about him earlier. We talked about what he brings to the table. We talked about how you would want to run through a wall for this guy, especially off all the comments he says. He's a battler. Uh, He had eight strikeouts in his first game. Let's look at how some of the Mets fair against Zach Davies and who we should be paying close attention to. Starling Marte, who's had 28 at-bats, batted 357 with three RBIs. He's someone we are going to pay close attention to on opening day. A lot of Mets have gotten hits against this guy. Brandon Nimmo batting 500. Tomas Nito batting 333. You got James McCann batting 667. Francisco Lindor's batting 500, but that's only with two at-bats. Travis Jankowski in 10 at-bats, bats 300. Eduardo Escobar in 14 at-bats, only batted 214 against Zach Davies, but he's got a home run. RBI. So I'm thinking right now, the biggest person you want to look out for against Zach Davies will be Starling Marte, who has the most at-bats against him and batting 357. So you guys got to enjoy that game. That home opener is going to be a lot of fun. Before the home opener, it's a 
Big, big day. The Tom Seaver statue pregame ceremony right before the game, 10.30 a.m. I hope that everyone who's in attendance gets to check that out. I know I'll be watching it on TV. Steve and Alex Cohen will be in attendance along with Tom's widow Nancy, their two daughters Sarah and Anne, and Hall of Fame catcher Mike Piazza. The statue will be located to the right of the home run apple in front of City Field, and this is from the Mets press release that I'm reading right now, kind of reading it a little bit verbatim but the whole thing is going to be a great scene sculptor William Burns who designed and sculpted Willie Mays' statue outside Oracle Park in San Francisco he also did Tony Gwynn's monument outside of Petco hey this is going to be a long time coming we hoped and wished Tom would be able to see it unfortunately he passed away in 2020 and it's um it's sad that you know he, he wouldn't be able to see it I know that the Will Ponds had started this uh, around 2019, the talk of the statue and, you know, Tom would never been able to see it. He hasn't been going to any events at that time, um, I think because of the dementia. And then he got really sick and, you know, passed away in 2020. But look at this statue. And this is from the, again, from the press release that the Mets put out. This is, I'm going to read this right from here. The statue of Tom Seaver features his iconic drop and drive delivery and is two times life size to scale. The statue is 10 feet high from the granite pitcher's mound and 13 and a half feet in length. The total weight of the statue is 3,200 pounds, 2,000 pounds of bronze and 1,200 pounds of structural, structural stainless steel. The granite mound came in nine separate pieces that weighed 33,600 pounds and added approximately three feet in height. And that's from the press release from the New York Mets. I mean, what a moment this is going to be. We all know what Tom Seaver meant to this team, to this franchise. He is the franchise. I mean, he coined the term, the franchise. So we know what he's meant to the fan base, what he's meant to his teammates, what he's meant to this team over the 60-year span. And they never always treated him right. We know that. We know what M. Donald Grant did in the trade, the worst trade in baseball. We know how he was handled. If you read the book by Bill Madden, he was never treated the way he should have been. There were moments, but Tom Seaver is royalty in Queens, and he should have been treated like that always. It just sucks that he can't be here to witness this. We got to take a look at Tom's stats. I We've done it before. Let's do it again. Tom Seaver stats as a New York Met 198 and 124 his win-loss record 257 ERA I mean Tom you know was amazing Hall of Famer three-time Cy Young Award winner 12-time All-Star three-time ERA title champion rookie of the year 1969 Miracle Mets World Series champion in his career 311 205 record with a 2.86 ERA and 3,600 and 40 strikeouts. I know that he leads a lot of the Mets in categories. Let's look at Tom's categories. First in strikeouts, 2,541. First in wins, we talked about it, 198. Second in ERA, 2.57. Whip, 1.08. He's second in whip. And in war, first, 76. Tom Seaver, legend. Tom Seaver, the franchise. Tom Seaver immortalized at City Field on opening day. 
That will wrap it up for the Subway to Shave podcast. Please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week, so go to Apple Podcasts. Rate the show from one to five stars. Hopefully, you're giving me five stars, and let me know what you think of the show. In the review section, you can leave comments. I want to make this show better each and every week, so by doing those tasks. It'll help me to make this show grow. You can also rate the show on Spotify. If you listen to the podcast on Spotify, that helps as well. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, I'm a contributor for Rising Apple, a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can check out my articles for Rising Apple as I will leave the links in the description of this week's episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you all very much. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Enjoy the home opener. Always remember, listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.